You're listening to Politics Weekly. To uh, be big underdogs uh, in the race uh, for the uh, the presidency. One of them is uh, joining me today. We can survive all those systems. What's going to happen if you legalize it completely? Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. Welcome back uh, to Politics Weekly. Uh, we are here again. He is a special guest. He was on before Eric Jackman from the Eric Jackman Show podcast. He was also the cultural attache for uh, Tulsi Gabbard's uh, 2020 presidential campaign. Eric, thank you for joining me. Yeah, Nolan, it's uh, good to be with you, man. Thanks for inviting me on and uh, good to talk to you again, man. Of course, you too. Thanks for coming back on. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you do on uh, the Eric Jackman show or the Jackman radio show. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I host a podcast with my twin brother, Mike, called Jackman Radio. And uh, lately we've been having guests on that we just, you know, they might be authors, researchers, intellects, uh, people in the political world who interest my brother and I. And uh, we just have interviews with them and you know, shoot the breeze about current events and, you know, what they might be up to in their career. And what we did recently, we did a 9-11 special. We did four interviews with uh, people who were connected to 9-11 in one way or the or another. One of them was a uh, family member, my friend named Michelle Little. Her brother died in the World Trade Center. He was a fireman from New York City. And, um, you know, she's been on quite a journey the last 19 years wow. since it happened. Yeah. and um, That's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, I've known her for quite a while, and she's an amazing woman, and um, just been fighting to get the get try and try and get something. Um, a lot of the family members are in a lawsuit against Saudi Arabia, so that's a whole other mm. story we could talk about at some point. Right. But so yeah. I had her on. We had on Dylan Avery, who's the creator of Loose Change, which is the biggest was the first internet blockbuster documentary, mm. and it's uh, basic, basically people's gateway into the world of 9/11 truth and questioning the official story of 9/11. So we had him on, and then we had on uh, Ryan Dawson, who's a researcher from Japan, who's a, done great work into 9/11. And um, what was our oh, uh, a guy named Daniel Hopsicker was the last one. He's a researcher from Florida who's looked into the hijackers' movements down in Florida before the attacks, and he dug up a lot of interesting information. So, yeah, Jackman Radio is just like a political, current events, pop culture podcast. And, um, you know, my brother and I will record episodes, too. We'll just be the two of us talking and covering the news and going over things. So we're, uh, we're on Spotify and we're on Podbean. That's great. And, uh, and I know that um, during the 2020 election, you got some big guests on. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I had some great guests on. So we did our, we called it Politics and Pints, and we partnered with a um, really awesome brewery here in my hometown in Peterborough, New Hampshire, called Post and Bean Brewing. And um, they agreed to let us go in there and set up a film crew um, on days that the brewery was closed and, you know, book presidential candidates to come and sit down with us and have a beer. And our first guest was Andrew Yang. 
and oh, we wow. had him on a yeah we booked him we had him on a week before he went on joe rogan so oh. that was like perfect perfect timing for us yeah the yeah. video got got uh right out of the gate i think it got close to thirty thousand views which was incredible because wow. we really just just started the youtube channel and put the video together and my best friend from college jeff who uh, has his own wedding video business videographer for weddings he does all of our interviews that we film so he set up all the film equipment and lights and it was it was awesome and we sat down with andrew yang for about a half hour and um you know just kind of got to know him and, and hear about his uh campaign based on ubi universal basic income and um you know it's cool too because we're in touch with the local paper here, the Banadnock Ledger in town. So they would oftentimes come up to the brewery when we'd tell them we were having a candidate and they'd take pictures and include a little snippet of it in the, in the paper. So we kind of grew it organically through that. And then, you know, you do one interview, then that can lead to the next one. And then, of course, uh, our second one was with Tulsi Gabbard, who was, you know, no problem getting her on because um, I was out, out loud and early as a supporter of hers. And, uh, working on her campaign and um, yeah so we had her on and then Marion Williamson and then uh, Bill Weld, Mark Sanford, Joe Sustak um, yeah I think that's it and we, you know we were talking to the Bernie people to Liz Warren's people we could we could never never nail them down for a time but uh, yeah. it's been great it gave us a lot of great um contacts i met a lot of people through it and you know the more interviews you do the more comfortable you get with people and you know right. i know maybe sometimes you can feel like intimidated like oh i'm sitting down with someone who has millions millions of followers and is this wealthy person or people know this person all over but right. when, once you get settled into it and you're just sitting across from them at a table and having a beer they're just another person yeah. and it creates a creates a cool environment to you know doing in do an interview and learn more about the candidates yeah that's very interesting uh uh why don't we jump right into the news um uh, because there is some uh there's some major stories this week uh starting with uh the news about amy coney barrett uh president trump um uh has selected amy coney barrett a judge on the seventh circuit court of appeals as his choice to replace ruth bader ginsburg on the supreme court Barrett was previously a law professor at Notre Dame College and clerked for Justice Antonin Scalia. Uh, Barrett has seven biological children and two adopted from Haiti. Uh, she made headlines in 2017 uh, after a controversy uh, during her confirmation uh, hearing uh, for the lower circuit court um, when California uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein uh, uh, controversially referenced her Catholic faith. Uh, every Republican and three Democrats voted for her then, but now Barrett could face a tough road ahead. Uh, many uh, on the left who are opponents of Barrett uh, fear she will alter uh, Roe versus Wade uh, or that she could, uh, she could overturn uh, the Affordable Care Act in an upcoming ruling, um, which she has criticized in the past. Many Democrats are calling foul on Republicans who blocked the nomination of Judge Merrick Garland in 2016 because of the upcoming election then. According to one CNN poll, uh, 59% of Americans wish for the seat 
uh, to be filled after Election Day. However, it still appears as though uh, Mitch McConnell will be moving forward uh, with uh, a vote as he has announced that October 12th will be the date that confirmation hearings start for Amy Coney Barrett. What are your thoughts uh, on Amy Coney Barrett uh, being selected for uh, to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the United States Supreme Court? Should she be uh, uh, should the seat be filled now or after the election? Um, and, and what are your thoughts? Is she a good pick? Is she a bad pick? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's a smart and a brilliant pick from Trump's point of view. I mean, he's really giving that segment of his base the red meat that they crave and that they continue to reward their loyalty to him for. So when Trump does things like this and nominates a pretty, you know, credibly conservative judge and someone who's, you know, of, of the conservative Catholic leanings, that's signaling to his base and more conservative supporters that I'm giving you guys everything you wanted when you decided to make the deal with the devil and support me and become part of the Trump world. So it's, it's no surprise there. It's a smart, shrewd pick on Trump's behalf. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the way our system is supposed to work, man. A Supreme Court justice is a lifetime appointment, so if they don't retire, then they're not leaving that bench until they die. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, died, and now it's time to fill the seat. Now, I was appalled, and I thought it was horrible that Mitch McConnell and the Republicans wouldn't even have hearings, confirmation hearings for Merrick Garland when Obama was president. But, you know, there's a little history of that and, and, and why McConnell is the way he is about Supreme Court picks and judges. He's tied into the Federalist Society, and the Federalist Society um, is a you know right-wing conservative judicial group that has chapters in all 50 states and colleges all over America, and they're tied in with people on the right and more conservative and religious groups um, promoting their point of view and their policies and networking with judges and, and people in the legal world. So any list of candidates to be the Supreme Court justice is going to come directly from that through Mitch McConnell. And, you know, Trump knows this, and, and he knew that when he released the name of all the list of all the judges he would nominate when he was running. So, you know, it's, 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 it's brilliant politics on Trump's behalf. It's, it's textbook Mitch, Mitch McConnell. Um, I think she's going to get confirmed, no problem. I mean, we know the Democrats don't have the votes to stop it. They don't really have any way to stop it from happening other than maybe trying to delay it and have, you know, show, some showmanship in the hearings, which I'm sure you can imagine will happen after we saw what happened with um, Gorsuch and, of course, more so with Kavanaugh because of the uh, climate of those hearings. But, yeah, I, I mean, I need to learn more about her. I don't know too much about her other than what I've, what kind of what you mentioned and what I'm hearing that she's obviously reliably pro-life and she adopted the two kids from Haiti, has a bunch of her own biological children. And, um, I, I you know, I, what I would take the most umbrage with is if she wanted to vote to repeal the um, Affordable Care Act. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of Medicare for all, so I don't even think the ACA goes far enough in ensuring that all Americans have health care. But um, that would, you know, that would be something I would hope that the Democrats and the left would, would, would fight against and stand up against and do everything in their power to uh, ensure it wouldn't happen. But yeah, man, I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. We're, we're seeing a rightward turn towards the judicial branch of government. I mean, Trump will 
have gotten three picks uh, after he gets her confirmed, and that's that is no easy task, man. So yeah. whether you like him like him or not, or agree with the picks or agree with them, I mean, he these are things these are big ticket things he promised to his base and he's delivered on them. So yeah. in that regard, he's not going to lose any support from the evangelical pro life um, conservative crowd. But of course, it'll be enraging people on the left and <laughs> those who uh, are, are just you know dreading any kind of turn towards the right and any more conservative lurch in our judicial branch. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But bottom line, man, I think the McConnell will they'll get her through and uh, get her on there. And I mean, look, if the Democrats were in the same position and they, they own the Senate and had the votes, they would do they would do the same thing. They would want to get their pick through by any means. So to think that they would, you know, say like, oh, we should honor her wishes and not seat someone till after the election. No one's going to really do that. I can't think you can, I don't think you can point to a time in history where one side has, has said, you know, don't do this. But if they were in the, the situation or the scenario that the other side's in, that they wouldn't do it. So um, it, it's going to be, you know, I don't think it'll be as contentious as Kavanaugh. But um, let's see what they dig up on her, man. I mean, who knows what kind of dirt they're going to find on her. But, um, you know, we'll be watching, man. It'll certainly be interesting. Yeah. Um, now, you say you think that uh, she will be confirmed easily. Do you think that Mitch McConnell will be able to have a vote to confirm her before Election Day? Well, so the hearings start on October 12th. Um, yeah, depending on how deep the Democrats want to go into her background and, you know, how much time they can put into, you know, prolonging it and stretching it out. I, I think it's entirely possible that they get her confirmed before the election. I, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And, and, you know, it's fun. The funniest thing, man, our government can work quickly and fastly with expedience when it's something they want to do, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think there's a pretty, pretty good, pretty high chance that they'll, they'll get her confirmed before the election. All right. Well, uh, moving on right now, uh, Democrats heavily pushing back against the seat being uh, filled. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, has uh, said she wouldn't rule rule out impeaching uh, President Trump uh, to um, uh, to block uh, the uh, the House or to block the Senate. Uh, from voting on the nominee. Uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has said he will take actions that will attempt to remove Pelosi as Speaker if this is the case. New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has said she won't meet with Barrett until after the election, while moderate Democrats like West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, who voted to confirm Justices Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, and Alabama Senator Doug Jones, who remains the most endangered Democratic senator running in the 2020 elections, have both declined uh, to vote on any nominee until after Election Day. Meanwhile, moderate Republicans like Maine's Senator Susan Collins and Alaska's Senator Lisa Murkowski have expressed a desire to hold a vote after the election, but haven't said how they will vote. Other moderates, like Utah's Senator Mitt Romney, Colorado's Senator Cory Gardner, and Tennessee's Senator Lamar Alexander, have all pledged to vote uh, for Barrett. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, there's 
always reliable, moderate Republicans like Murkowski and Collins who, um, you know, won't get too tied up in the frenzy of it and will want to have a little bit of pause and, and uh, you know, be reasonable about things. So, I mean, it's it's nice to see there's a couple of senators like that. Um, but, you know, you got to look at the ones who are up for re-election. What are their home states? What's the makeup of their home states where they're at? What constituencies do they need to keep happy and placated to ensure they're going to they're going to hold their seat? So um, I was actually a little surprised Mitt Romney didn't put up more of a fight. I mean, you know, after all, people you got to remember he is still part of the Republican Party, and you know, a big a big thing in politics is getting, especially in an election year, getting your your pick on the Supreme Court. And with the talk the clock ticking the way it is. You know, Romney understood that, and I think that's why he signaled that he's not going to oppose it or do anything to thwart it, you know, whereas he he's, uh, supported impeachment. And, yeah, impeachment, I think that is just the most asinine and stupid thing that Nancy Pelosi could uh, look at or even mention it again. I mean, we went through it already with the Ukraine stuff, which I thought was ridiculous, and to even put it on the table and suggest she's going to go down that path again is I think just going to further deepen the divide and people are going to dig their heels in even more on both sides. I just don't see, I don't see why, why they would want to go down that road again. And I don't see how it would stop hmm. Trump from uh, getting the nominee through. I don't, I don't, I'd have to look more into that, but I don't understand that how impeaching him in the house again is going to do anything because the Senate's not going to, you know, support it. He, he has the Senate and he's got Mitch McConnell in the Senate so it would just be a waste of time, and the Democrats would look even worse than they already do right now with sour grapes and basically look like a bunch of sore losers, mm. which is Trump has just been brilliant at being able to continuously paint the Democrats like that, and then they continue to fall fall for it. So I think uh, the bottom line, man, she's, I think she's going to get nominated no problem, and they'll get her in, and... Um, I think the Republican Democrats are going to hang on to the House, and I think the Senate's going to tighten up. I think the Republicans will probably hang on to the Senate, but not by very much. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, let's move on then. So with the first presidential debate of this season coming up, President Donald Trump is gearing up to face off against former Vice President Joe Biden. Debates are largely known to be uh, a make-or-break uh, look at um, you know some moments that come to mind include Gerald Ford saying there was uh, no Soviet uh, domination in Eastern Europe that was said to have hurt him, uh, or Ronald Reagan saying he would not make he wouldn't exploit his opponent's youth and inexperience when asked if he was too old to be president. That was something that was uh, that people believed helped him. Um, and uh, now people are looking at how this debate could potentially shape. Uh, the 2020 presidential season. Uh, the first debate will be held in the swing in the key swing state of Ohio and will be hosted by Fox News's Chris Wallace. Trump has implied that Biden should take a drug test before the debate. However, there are some concerns that Donald Trump could be lowering, uh, or some concerns from the Trump camp that Trump could be lowering expectations too low. What are your thoughts? Uh, on all this the debates are like the super bowl for us political junkies man I, I can't believe it's been four four years since 
Trump faced off against Crooked Hillary in those debates, and those were some of the most phenomenal political debates and, and moments that we've ever seen in our history. Uh, I was actually just watching clips of Trump when uh, Hillary was like, it's just so good that someone like Donald Trump's not in charge of law enforcement in our country. And Trump's just like, yeah, because you'd be in jail. And that was really just one of the greatest moments in, in the debate history. But Trump, Trump's going to go there, man. He's going to, that dude is going to come out of the gate swinging. He's going to attack Biden's family. He's going to really, really seek to keep uh, the debate from talking about the coronavirus and his response to that. Cause that's where, that's where Biden is probably going to be focusing and he's going to want to hit Trump on the numbers, the 200,000 deaths, delayed response, you know, try and pick, pick apart Trump's response and handling of the coronavirus. Whereas Trump is going to want to just smack Biden around about his son, Hunter, and his dealings with China, his dealings with Ukraine. He's going to just repeat all that stuff and go for it. And, you know, because Trump has no shame in any of that. So he's going to go for it. And I think the best thing Biden can do is try and stay on topic and not let Trump rattle his cage. And, you know, Trump saying him, you know, Biden, we're going to uh, we're going to give Biden a drug test. You know, we're going to stick something in his ass. <laughs> the other, what did he say? They're going to stick something in his ass and give him drugs or something. But, something like that. Yeah. Well, he said he would also if, take a drug test. He said uh, he'll take dr- a drug test and that will prove that he is, you know, perfectly authentic in the debate or something like that. It's 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 just so ridiculous. It's classic Trump showmanship. It's, you know, it's like Holyfield Tyson boxing match or UFC or wrestling. And, um, you know, I, I think the Trump people kind of made a mistake lowering the expectation for, for how well they think Biden's going to do, because you got to remember Biden has, has, you know, I know he's older now and he's kind of, he's not as sharp as he once was. And there's, there's probably some cognitive decline or something going on there. But, um, you know, he's still Joe Biden, man, and this guy's been in a lot of debates in his life. He's been he's been around politics for over 50 years, and uh, he's a capable politician. And if he can stay on topic and stay on point, I can actually see him having a pretty damn good debate and surprising a lot of people and being able to keep up with Trump and really just try and hammer the negatives about Trump, you know, with the economy, the virus, um, that sort of stuff. So... I'm really excited to watch it. I mean, they're just these things are really entertaining. You're not going to hear too much substance, I don't think, because mm-hmm. Trump is Trump's the showman, man. He's low on substance and high on flair and bravado, which is what everyone knows and expects of him. So mm. I think he's he's going to go there, man. He's going to go for the gutter and come out swinging, and it'll be interesting to see how Biden responds and and what he has to say. So. Um, my expectations heading into it are Biden's going to try and stay on message and stay composed and not let Trump rattle him. And Trump will be outrageous and swing for the fences. All right. Well, let's move on to the next story. So Joe Biden is continuing to expand his polling lead over President Donald Trump. As of right now, Uh, the real clear politics polling average puts Biden at plus 6.8 nationally. Additionally, Biden also uh, enjoys a comfortable lead in most battleground states. What are your thoughts on this polling? Why is Biden doing so well uh, in polling? And does this mean that, uh, you know, how bad is this for Donald Trump? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's hard to say 100% because last time around, four years ago, Hillary was kind of in the same boat, and this is even before the Access Hollywood tape came out. And, um, you know, at that point, everyone, and myself included, thought Trump was totally dead in the water. He was down, you know, eight, nine, ten points. And then you had uh, the October surprise of the planet uh, or the Access Hollywood tape come out, and it's like, oh, he's he's done. It's not going to happen. And then, of course, uh, you know, it didn't sink his campaign, and he, he held he held strong and ended up winning. Um, Biden is, you know, Biden's a household name. Everyone knows who he is. I don't think he has the same negatives that Hillary Clinton has. Uh, or had as a, as the nominee, so I could see why his numbers would stay pretty strong in some of those states. You know, it really just it comes down to on who who each camp is able to mobilize and get out to come and vote because you know the elderly voters are always reliable who they're going to vote for, but of course now the variable is the virus. So are a lot of the elderly going to stay home? Were they able to get their mail-in ballots? I mean, that that's going to be like a big question mark on everything in turnout. So it's going to be really hard to gauge until after all the votes are counted and we get everything in and then everything's reported. Um, but certainly I think Michigan is going to be very close. Uh, we're, we're hearing about Trump making pretty solid gains in Minnesota. Actually, I think for the first time in maybe over 30 years, Minnesota might be in play for a Republican. I, I can't remember the exact year or election it was, but I think it's close to 30 years uh, was the last time a Republican won Minnesota or was, or was close. 1972 so, well, was the last time a Republican carried Minnesota when Nixon was reelected. Oh, jeez. Um, 1984, that was the only state Ronald Reagan lost because it was Mondale's. And Mondale's Mondale. Won, he won that by 3,000 votes. Wow, okay, so it was really close. Yeah. Okay, so 80, 84, so that was 36 years ago. Um, yeah, so that Michigan's going to be close. I think Minnesota will be close. Uh, Pennsylvania, I think we could probably say Biden. If Biden can't win his like, home state, then he should just quit right now. So I think we'd probably give Pennsylvania to Biden. Um, Ohio is a toss-up. Um, I think maybe at this point it's leaning towards Trump, but... Uh, and then Florida, Florida, I have a lot of friends in Florida and, and the Republicans and Trump are playing for real down there. They're, they're hitting the streets. They got people out. They got Latinos for Trump. You know, he's trying to make a lot of inroads with the black and Hispanic community. And then, you know, the Jewish community down there is uh, pretty split. I mean, I know a lot of them like Trump, but a lot of them historically are Democrats. But, uh, you know, man, it could come down to one or two of these states. And, I mean, my home state of New Hampshire is, is uh, just just anecdotally, you know, what what I see around is just I see Trump signs everywhere. Really? I see way more Trump signs than I do Biden signs. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Trump lost New Hampshire last time. But I think it's conceivable that he could he could pull out New Hampshire this time. He's still pretty popular in the state. And. You know, he spent some time here. Pence was here last week. Uh, Trump's uh, wife, uh, Melania, was here. Trump himself was here like a month ago, and I'm sure he might even he might even come back before the election. So, you know, they got their eye they got their eyes on those handfuls of swing states, and um, it's going to be close. But I think 
polls, you know, give polls some credibility, but they're not always right because a lot of them had Hillary winning the thing by a landslide. And we know what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, let's move on. So uh, former uh, congressman and presidential candidate Ron Paul suffered a stroke recently while recording his live daily podcast on YouTube. Paul suffered a stroke and was rushed to the emergency room. Many people, including uh, Paul's former opponent, Mitt Romney, wished the former congressman the best. Paul did reassure people via Twitter that he was recovering. What are your thoughts uh, on this? Yeah, I was so sad to see that, man. I was on Twitter and I saw Ron Paul's name trending. I'm like, oh, my God, what's Ron Paul trending for? Because, I mean, he just turned 85 Mm. and... uh, I was like, oh no! You always you always think the worst. That's always a meme on Twitter when you see someone trending that you love, and especially if it's someone who's older, you're like, oh shit! But um, yeah. I saw the saw the footage of it. It's so sad that it happened during a live stream. Um, but uh, yeah, I was I was really bummed initially, and but you know, I I worked on Ron Paul's campaign here in New Hampshire in 2012, and that guy takes care of himself. He's in incredible shape. He rides his bike uh, down there in Texas where he lives. I don't know if he does every day, but I know he's very active. He likes to bike and swim and, um, you know, take, he's always taking care of himself. He's in really good shape for an 85 year old man. But, uh, yeah, I was really sad to see that, but then I was very happy to see not long after the, the incident, they, his accounts posted a picture of him in a hospital bed, giving a thumbs up, basically saying, Hey, I'm okay. I'm going to make it. You know, I'm just, we took me to the hospital and, Everything looks good. So he's, you know, he's a voice that we need in the conversation. Ron Paul will always be one of my big political heroes and someone I really look up to and admire for his courage in saying things and talking about issues that, you know, politicians in both parties won't talk about, let alone being in a Republican Republican Party and being up there in the Republican primary with a bunch of neocons talking about how we need to get the hell out of all these countries we're in and we need to look at the Federal Reserve. I mean, you know, he opened my eyes to so many things that I had no idea about. And uh, I'll always be great. We always be grateful to Ron Paul for that. And uh, we all wish him a speedy recovery. And actually, I know he was doing his show today. So that, that's a good sign. And Rand Paul, Rand Paul said the old man's okay and he's going to make it. So I uh, hopefully we are going to see a lot more from Ron Paul. And he's going to be around for, you know, more, many more years to come. I mean, many more. All right, well, let's jump in to the next story. So President Trump coming under fire for a recent report from the New York Times uh, claiming he didn't pay taxes for 10 years. The article also claims the president only uh, paid $750 in taxes in 2017 after becoming president. Uh, president Trump on Sunday uh, denied that this article was really called it fake news. Um, and, uh, however, in addition to this, uh, uh, many Democrats have been slamming him. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, posted a tweet asking people to raise their hands if they paid more in taxes than President Trump did. What are your thoughts on this controversy? Yeah, I mean, you got to kind of believe Trump when he tells you certain things. Sometimes he's like actually telling the truth. And I remember from the debates when he said, look, you know, I'm being audited right now. I'll release my tax returns when the audit's over. But I use the laws, okay? 
I use the laws. Warren Buffett uses the laws. All rich people use the laws to not pay taxes. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, we, we all knew the dude was probably not paying much, if anything. Um, basically, it's like, you know, silly rabbit taxes are for poor people. You know, the, the rich and the powerful and the elite, they use all the laws to their advantage because they're the ones who fund and own the politicians to write the laws for them. So I'm not surprised at all. It's, it sucks, and it just kind of shows you that our system is not really all that fair. <laughs> you have someone who's allegedly worth 3 or $3.5 billion, and he's only paid, what, $750 in taxes in the last 10 years? Mm. It's kind of kind of insane. So it just shows you there's so much wrong with our tax system and the laws and how the laws are made and who they really benefit. So this is just another obvious example of that slapping us all in the face that we need to overhaul the tax system and we need to make the thing more fair. I don't know exactly what that'll look like, but I also don't think it's right that these big companies like Amazon and Google and Apple, you know, don't pay any taxes and billionaires like Donald Trump don't pay any taxes. So something needs to be done about it, but you're just going to hear a lot of crying and people yelling on both sides, but nothing will really change. I don't think anything will ultimately come of it. And it will just, it'll be like everything else in the last four years in Trump's presidency. That's supposedly scandalous and something that will take him down. It'll be reported on for a couple of days in a news cycle. And then it'll be on to the next thing. It'll be like a fart in the wind. You know, it'll be, it'll be gone quickly and um, it'll be on to the next thing. So nothing really will come of it. And um, I'm not surprised at all about it. All right. Well, Moving on, President Trump also receiving backlash for a statement he made uh, saying that uh, implying he may uh, refuse to concede the election. Trump said uh, that uh, that people will have to see what happens uh, at the time of the election. Trump also warned that Democrats would try to steal the election via mail in voting. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I heard him say that. Um it's pretty unprecedented to hear a president say that he's not going to accept, well, he's not sure if he's going to accept the results. You know, part of me wants to say, oh, this is just standard Trump bluster. You know, we'll have to, we'll see what happens. We'll have to see what happens. Okay, I'll take a look then. You know, he says that about a lot of things. But um, you know, I'm not surprised. The dude always always saying outrageous things and getting people all worked up. But I don't exactly know how that would work if the if the results came in and Biden won and Trump didn't feel that they were accurate or fair or right and then refused to leave. I, I don't know exactly how that works because he's still the commander in chief of the armed forces and then wouldn't you need someone to go in there and forcibly remove him from the office? I, I'm not I'm not sure. I, I you know to be honest with you, man, I need to do more research into to to that process and what it would look like. Like who would who could give an order uh, to the military to go grab the sitting president? I, I don't really know. It's just kind of unprecedented ground. So as Trump says, you know, uh, no one will have to see what happens. We'll have to see what happens. But ultimately, I think we're going to see a, a peaceful transition of power if he doesn't win. Um, you know, maybe I'm going to, maybe I'll be eating these words, uh, you know, in under 40 days, but I, God, that it would be beyond the pale to see something like that happen. Even, even for Trump, I think that's beyond the pale. I think ultimately he'll accept the results, and if it's Biden, he'll 
go along with what is tradition and is concede, congratulate your opponent and move on. But we know Trump is a little different than most, so we'll have to see how it plays out, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, moving on. So uh, a federal judge has temporarily blocked President Trump's efforts to ban the popular app TikTok from functioning in the United States. The concerns came after a Senate Foreign Relations Committee meeting suspected TikTok could be working with the Chinese government and taking private information. Oracle attempted to buy TikTok to allow them to operate within the United States, but Trump said he'd have to look at the agreement first. Judge Carl Nicholas of of the United States District Court for the District of Columbia blocked the decision but did not block a previous decision that could eventually make TikTok unusable in the United States App Store. What are your thoughts uh, on all this drama involving TikTok? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think it's the government's place to come in like that and arbitrarily say, oh, you know, I'm going to ban this group, I'm going to ban this company, this app, this thing. Um, You know, I don't really know that the president has the power to do that. Um, You know, it's kind of laughable. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm sure the Chinese government are in bed with them. If if they're the country of origin for TikTok, I don't have an account. I don't ever plan on getting one. All I think of when I think of TikTok is a bunch of bored tweens running around, you know, filming like 20 second videos because they all have ADD. I don't really, I don't really understand the whole TikTok thing, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's uh, wise for government to think that they can pick the winners and losers for this kind of thing. And um, there's a documentary that just came out about uh, social media. I forget the name of it. Maybe you saw it. Um, It was all about how they store all of our data and have all of our information. So if people are worried about TikTok, it's like, well, you know, <laughs> if you have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that, they, these companies already have everything on you. They have every, literally every click you've ever made, every time you've been on your phone, every search you've done, anything you've ever bought, every any bill you've ever paid. I mean, they know everything about you. So we're already past that point, man, and I think this is just kind of silliness talking about TikTok and banning it and you know it's just it's it's more of the rhetoric uh framing a new cold war against the United States and China and this is just one more thing and one more part of that you know seeking to polarize both sides and say we're at war with China and we're going to ban TikTok and it's just you know it's Trump again serving up more red meat for the base you know being tough on China I'm going to be so tough on China, I'm going to ban TikTok, okay? I'll ban them on Saturday. So it's just, I think it's a lot of bluster. I don't think ultimately Trump has the power to do it. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. All right. Well, moving on. So former Trump campaign advisor Brad Parscale has been detained after threatening uh, to hurt himself. Pascal's uh, wife told police he was violent and ranting body cam footage showed uh, has shown uh, Parscale being detained forcefully by the police what are your thoughts uh, on this controversy uh, uh, involving Trump's former campaign advisor Brad Parscale 
No, well, first of all, I'd be afraid to be the guy that had to detain him. He's a big dude. He's about six foot eight, from what I understand. He's a big guy, and 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 who, and who knows, man? I wonder about this. I mean, obviously the guy was <laughs> in a position of serious stress and um, you know pressure, being a camp the campaign manager for a presidential campaign, let alone a presidential campaign, Donald Trump's campaign, where the whole world is watching you and one wrong move can ensure your political death. And of course, with uh, that rally that they had set up down in, um, what state was it there? Um, Was it Alabama? Tulsa? Might be. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sorry, Oklahoma, I meant to say. Oklahoma, (laughs) where uh, Pascal said, we have over a million RSVPs. We're going to get over a million people here. And then only 6,000 people showed up, and he just had egg all over his face, and he made Trump look horrible. So, you know, probably, man, he's never really recovered from that. And, God, it's hard to say what goes on in these people's personal lives. I mean, a lot of it would just be speculation, but I can just, I can just imagine, man, that that had a ripple effect on him, and then he got demoted, and another guy took over, and... um who knows what kind of personal demons that he's dealing with. It could be substance. Um, you know, he could problems from that could spill over into his marriage and um, had the effect. So, I mean, I don't want to speculate too much until I know what the facts are or, or if a tox, you know, a toxicology report comes out and it shows that he was on drugs or drinking or whatever it was. But um, yeah, I, I hope, I hope his, him and his family are okay. I mean, I don't personally know the guy. I don't wish him any ill will. Um, yeah. Politics politics is a nasty business, and it can really take a toll, toll on you personally and in your family life. So, um, you know, I just hope whatever's going on there, his family's okay and they're safe. And, you know, if he needs to get help with something, I, I hope he can get help and get it all resolved. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. let's move on to the next story. John McCain's widow Cindy McCain has endorsed Joe Biden for president of the United States. McCain said in a statement uh, that she wants to put country above her party, and this was what fueled her decision. McCain has also been added to Joe Biden's, um, to his uh, transitional board, uh, should Joe Biden win the presidency. She'll help with his transition, the peaceful transition of power uh, to allow Joe Biden to eventually step into the role of president of the United States should he win in November. Donald Trump uh, responding uh, to uh, the endorsement saying, quote, I hardly know Cindy McCain other than having put her on a committee at her husband's request, Uh, unquote. He goes on to say, Joe Biden was John McCain's lapdog. So many bad decisions on endless wars and the VA, which I brought from a horror show to high approval. Never a fan of John. Cindy can have Sleepy Joe. Uh, Cindy McCain did not mention uh, uh, Donald Trump in her endorsement of Joe Biden, despite the feud uh, that her husband uh, had with Trump uh, throughout his entire presidency from his campaign in 2016 up until his death in 2018. Uh, What are your thoughts uh, on uh, Cindy McCain's endorsement uh, of Joe Biden? 
Well, we're seeing a lot of your never Trumpers coalescing around Biden. You don't necessarily agree with them on a lot of policy, but they just feel fundamentally that Donald Trump should not be president. So they're uh, all getting together and doing everything they can to stop him from winning again. And Cindy McCain's part of that effort. It's not surprising. I mean, John McCain and Biden were in the U.S. Senate together for many years. Senate's a small club. Everybody knows everybody, even if you're on the other team. You're still going to be cordial and friendly. And I know McCain had a lot of relationships with, you know, both people in both parties because of his propensity to be a maverick on things and not always toe the party line. So obviously there was an existing relationship with Biden and Cindy McCain and kind of just makes sense. And also you look at the last four years, uh, part of it spent in the last few years in McCain's life fighting Donald Trump. Trump besmirching his war record. You know, he's not a war hero. I like people who weren't captured. And then all the drama around McCain's funeral, Trump not being there. Um, Trump saying, you know, look, I agreed to let him have a state funeral. I didn't have to do that, you know. So they're, <laughs> they're enemies. And this is just another battle in the war, War of the Roses between the McCain camp and uh, Trump. So it's not surprising at all. But uh, I didn't know that, that, that Cindy McCain is going to be on the transition team. That's kind of interesting. So to me, that shows that uh, to get these kind of endorsements from Republicans or people on the other side, that the Biden people are maybe making some concessions or maybe opening the door to having some of them work in his potential administration. So that's kind of interesting. But, um, yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, any any chance that Trump has to take a, shot, a pot shot at John McCain, uh, he's going to do it. So it's just par for the course. All right. Well, that about wraps up our show. Uh, thank you again for joining me. Before you go, do you want to tell people where you can be found on social media? Absolutely. So on Instagram, I'm on there at Senator Jackman. Uh, on Twitter, Jackman Radio. Um, our podcast can be found on Spotify, just under Jackman Radio. And then we're on Podbean. You go to jackmanradio.podbean.com. And our YouTube channel is called Jackman Radio. And if you want to support our podcast and help us create more interviews and videos, you can go to patreon.com slash Jackman Radio. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk to you, man. This has been great. Awesome. Thank you again for coming on. All right. Hey everybody, welcome to the HUD Podcast. It's the new official podcast for the Hudsonian newspaper at Hudson Valley Community College. I'm Nolan Cleary, the managing editor for the Hudsonian, and I'm going to be your host. On this show, we're going to talk all about the news on campus, and we're going to give you all the advice you need to make it at HVCC. Right now, we're living in uncertain times, and I think this podcast is going to be a great outlet to sort of capture and address the concerns students have at this time. You know, one of the things I love about the Hudsonian is that any student can join, and you can get paid for it. The HUD, coming soon to YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Starting October 3rd, 
Politics Weekly takes an entire month leading up to the 2020 election to give you specials, analyses, and predictions about the upcoming presidential election, as well as compilations from past presidential election moments. It's Election Brawl 2020, starting October 3rd on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.